The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, The Dead Speak, and we continue our ongoing audiobook serialization of Timothy Zahn's Cobra, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afshirod. Today we bring you DJ Butler's conversation with the authors of Mission Critical. Mission Critical is a Murphy's Lawless novel written by Charles E. Gannon, Griffin Barber, Chris Kennedy, and Mike Massa. It is set in Gannon's larger Kane Riordan universe, but is a separate series in its own right. So if you love the Kane books or have never read them, Mission Critical is perfect for you. And in just a moment, we'll have these gentlemen explain why. But first, the news. Head on over to Bain.com and check out this month's free short story, Black Box, by Sean C.W. Korsgaard. Mankind eventually hopped its way across the nearby stars to Lalonde 21185, only to find a few dead, rocky worlds bathed in radiation and a system-wide debris field that made navigating all but the edges of the system hazardous for a large spacecraft. But the debris was more than just stray asteroids and space junk. It was wreckage. A war had occurred in the system, but despite hundreds of scavenger crews searching the system for scrap, no complete ships were ever found. Until now. And if you enjoy Black Box, be sure to check out more stories of ancient aliens in Worlds Long Lost, edited by Christopher Rocchio and Sean C.W. Korsgaard. It is out now. And that's it for the news. Welcome. Uh, this is uh, DJ Dave Butler. Uh, I'm here with uh, Charles Gannon, uh, Chris Kennedy, and Griffin Barber, uh, at, at least uh, uh, authors of Mission Critical, out now in trade paperback from uh, Bain, uh, and also uh, all your favorite ebook formats. DRM free when you buy them at Bain.com, uh, of course. Um, hey guys, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Great Thanks to be here. Having us. Uh, there's enough of you uh, that I won't read bios. Um, so may maybe in lieu of a bio, why don't we talk about the background of the book? Uh, right, the book exists in a in a um, it exists ultimately in the uh, the the Kane Riordan universe. The do we call it the Riordan verse? Uh, they call it the Kane verse. The Kane verse. I mean, I. My attitude was when somebody gives the, the the name to a universe that is actually the protagonist, like with, if it was yeah. good enough for Honorverse, I ain't going to dispute yeah. it. They can call it whatever they like. You know? You've arrived. We, we, called, we called it the Caneverse. The Caneverse? Yeah. Uh, or the, the Terran Republic, right, is is uh, yep. another name for the setting. Um, so uh, why, why don't you guys sort of tell me the background uh Let's start with the background of like the book before the background of the story. Like, like conceptually, how do we get to this book with four authors? What's going on here in terms of like the writing and publishing work? This is all you, Chuck. 
Actually, I, I don't think it is. Um, it it yes, it is. It's your idea. This it, is it, your idea. Yeah. It's your idea. Yeah. Are, are you being kind or vengeful now? Which is it? Uh, Both. <laughs> so at any rate, um, the, the really short version of this is about two years after Fire with Fire was out, I was... Um, there were there were a couple of there were a couple of uh, nebula nods uh, in the direction of the series. By the time the second book had come out, gotten a nebula nod, people were asking me, "We really like this. Can we play in it?" Um, fast forward to the fourth book, about and a uh, an anthology comes out called Lost Signals, with which ultimately first comes out with um, the uh, the Ring of Fire Press through Eric Flint. Um, and then uh, that sort of had even more people ask. Now, one, two of the people, uh, um, Griffin is one of the alums of that. And then you have another person, Mike Massa, who might join us later, I don't know, who was yet another. Um, but at about that time, I also started thinking, you know, more people were asking me and I thought, well, there, there's clearly, a, a, you know, people want to come to the sandbox. And I started as early as 2015, 2016, looking for somebody to, to partner with. Uh, I partner. I, I examined a lot of opportunities, and I did not ultimately go with them for one reason or another. But I'd met Chris in the interval, and uh, I, I just there's things you you get a vibe about a person, and all the things that he was as a human being um, made me feel that that I didn't care what the other stuff was really, because in my in in my experience. If you're working with somebody who knows you've got their six and they know you've got yep. their six you know, and vice versa, um, there's nothing you can't go through, which is, a, which is an extremely topically appropriate comment for me to make at this particular juncture. Uh, it, it, been... it really is. And, uh, and, and when Chuck approached me, he said, hey, I've, I've got this idea. Um, you got a minute to talk? Sure. Um, hey, so, you know, I've got this thing. It, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like that. Would you be interested? Well, yes. Yes, I would. You uh, as publisher. Really, yeah. And, and it was, I, I really like Chuck. And the more that, that I talked with him, um, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of common ground there. And, and yeah, I'd really like to, I'd really like to do something with you. Back over to you. And, and uh, the first person I spoke to uh, after that, uh, after I'd made my mind up, was sort of like <laughs> publishing, public, these sort of enterprises are a little bit like marriages um, in, in, in some of the best and the worst ways. Not um, sometimes the problem, you know, the, the, the thing is you've, got, you've either got the sort of marriage where the problem is gonna be a divorce or the in-laws. Um, I don't think Chris and I are headed for a divorce. Uh, <laughs> no, but sometimes, sometimes the family, the family can be, can be problematic. Um, and, uh, and that's been, it's been good that we've had th these strong sort of, uh, initial bonds. And, um, and I went to Tony because Tony is the person who had, um, you know, the bottom line was she was the one who, who brought Ken Riordan and the entire series really into, into the position where such a thing could happen. And so I wanted to make sure it was okay with her. And, um, and the, the, she said, yes, she said, watch, you know, make sure it doesn't impede your primary production. And I was like, okay. 
which has mostly been the case. There have been one or two occasions, though, when things get out of hand and you just have to shuffle your time and commitments around a little bit. But uh, in the process, learned a huge amount, worked with some wonderful people, made some really good friends. Uh, and I don't mean that in the Facebook term. I mean people that I'll pick up the phone and tell them about my life. So, and I don't do that with a whole lot of people because, because, because. Um, not that I'm shy about the reason, but that's a TLDR. Um, but the bottom line is that now just recently, why is this book then with Bain if it was doing so well with Chris Kennedy Publications? And it most certainly was. But um, we, there was a little bit of a misunderstanding. I thought Tony had said she was never going to be interested in, in publishing anything from this. Well, I, I don't know what the, I don't know who said what and who heard what, but the bottom line was that Fantaside just, just a little under a year ago now. Yeah. Um, I had, I had spoken to Chris and I said, look, you know, I know everybody's going in tough times. There were some concerns. We had several of us, particularly Griffin, for instance, who has uh, momentarily, I think, stepped away, uh, is, is another person that I've worked with in the 1632 universe. We knew that Eric Flint wasn't well. Um, we didn't know that it was going to become the, you know, Eric Flint's last year. Um, but one of the things that motivated us was make sure, you know, we had these properties. They were doing really well. Uh, see if Tony would be interested in them. You know, she could, she could maybe change her mind. Turns out that she was wondering why we, I hadn't brought them to her yet. Uh, why so, haven't you brought this to me sooner? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think was what she said. Yeah, yeah. So I thought you're bringing this to me sooner. So it's like, anyhow. Um, so so uh, in March at that con, the process was set rolling that brought this book out first. Um, the way things worked out or failed to in certain cases, um, we this actually wound up being the first one. There are in short order going to be two more. The two that come before this in the Murphy's Lawless series that will be available in initially ebook format yep. and then uh, audio uh, through Bain. Um, yep, yep. Whether print happens will depend upon demand. Yep. Uh, the, these are now the, 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 the last thing I'm going to say and then let, let because I'm coming to this from the traditional standpoint, um, but we're doing a first. And the first is that these books started out life and particularly this book in front of you is the real inflection point book. Because literally, we were ready to go. <laughs> Chris was ready to pull the trigger on releasing yep. exactly the book you see in front of you uh, for, um, for as season three. But that was when, that when was like, Tony what? picked it up. It was yeah. on my schedule for two weeks later. Yeah, um, yeah. and and I had to. Uh, it had already gone out to the uh, early review team. Um, you know, I'd had thirty people that had it in their hands, and I had to go. Hey. <laughs> Write down your review, and we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. So, uh, so, but, but many things have come out of it. So now the three. There's another one that's already under contract that uh, that Chris and I are doing, uh, called Admiral and Commander. Um, and this is kind of um, uh, it seems to be burgeoning um, a bit, yeah. um, which was always kind of the the notion here. Um, and uh, and with that, I think it would be you know more from Chris and also Griffin, who, who, who has that wonderful, you know, he, we talk all the time, but there's no view, you know, if you really want to hear what's really going on, you go to, you go to the man 
who's, who's the more outside of the sort of publishing and see what it looks like from out there. That's where you'll get the, perhaps I, I'm reflecting on this, fearsome takes on, uh, on this entire process. Yeah. yeah. Well, Griffin is also constitutionally sort of low bullshit. So <laughs> he, he's, he's good at giving fearsome takes. Well, let me, let me wind back just one kind of step. So, so this is effectively season three of Murphy's Lawless. So we need to talk about what Murphy's Lawless is in a minute here. If we kind of set the bigger context, so the Kane Riordan novels, of which we are now into six, is six? six comes out in August. Okay. Seven comes out in December. Which is the second arc, and it's the species novels, um, right? No. The, technically, it's a third arc, but third arc. Go. Okay. All right. Fine. Uh, so uh, this is. Uh, smart sort of uh maybe it's hard sf tinged uh space opera or maybe it's sort of high action hard sf i don't know it's somewhere kind of uh in that space setting 22nd century 23rd century the this this novel kicks off essentially i think in 21 24 if i'm not mistaken um but yes it's all part of that and it ties in, it branches off actually, not from the most recent novel that's come out, the fifth, but the fourth novel. That's where the concept of the lost soldiers are introduced. Um, everybody thinks that they were just the, there's a, a group called the Kator that they hijacked them from earth. They, the, they were mistaken regarding the reasons by hook and crook and many twisted paths, they find themselves um, fleeing earth space along with a lot of the, the major characters in the main arc of the series. And some of them have to be left behind because uh, cryo units are failing and they don't have enough consumables to support what the pop the total population would be if they all failed. Okay, so this is this is Murphy's Lawless. That's the root of Murphy's Lawless. Is a a human military unit gets stranded, uh, and I can't remember the number, but it's something like 160 light years from Earth or something. Uh, Yes, that's close enough. And Somewhere out there. The thing, that, the thing that wants to be noted is that none of the soldiers, the law soldiers, originate from before 1938. And to their knowledge, none of them uh, come from anything later than about 1998. So you're looking at people who've been displaced, usually by at least 130 and sometimes a lot more yeah. years. And, yeah. and I, think, I think the important part to, to know about these people is that when when the the units are failing and they have to put some people aside, they don't put the good ones aside. They put the ones aside that have issues. So these are all the people that, you know, well, we're going to need this. We're going to need that. We're going to need this guy. We're going to need that lady. We're going to need all these people. These ones, eh, they've got issues. Maybe we don't need them so much. We'll just last, the last one's picked back here right if if you had a school ground pick you know where two captains were picking yeah. these would be the ones at the end where uh, you take them i don't want them it might also be that they're the ones who who you know they're picking for baseball but instead they wind up over on the bocce courts you know it's yeah. it's that uh <laughs> some some of the cases are that severe right yeah the, and the pitch that i gave to 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 chris which he actually didn't let me 
finish, which which was which was wonderful, because it meant we were we were on on very much the same track as I said. Well, what if we did something set in the Kane Riordan universe that was well, kind of like Band of Brothers meets Kelly's Heroes? I wonder if yes, he said, and here we are. I love Kelly's Heroes. Who doesn't? Yes. Who so doesn't? Me. Stop with the negative waves, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's paint. <laughs> it's paint. He, so, he tagged me right with that. Hey, how about we do this and Kelly's Heroes? All right, let's go. <laughs> when can we start? Yeah. And and but but then I didn't hear anything for about two years. And and he, you know, as he went through doing all of the things, and 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 my only my only issue was okay, what did Tony say? Because I didn't I didn't want to, you know, intrude where you know I wasn't welcome. Um, and he's like, oh, Tony said, okay. And I said, all right, then, then I'm in. I think, I think this is great. Um, I love the juxtaposition of the two. Um, I think there's a, a lot of room there where, where we could, you know, make a great series and, and not only that, have a great time and, and give the readers um, some more of the, hey, what else is going on? Um, and, and Chuck said, oh, by the way, this is important and it will come back in later. And I was like, sold. So, so obviously if you've got soldiers who are all from earth somewhere between 1938 and 1975, did you say? There's 98. 98. 98. Okay, okay, so we're into golf stuff, okay. Yes, there are golf people. Yeah, so we've got we've got some kind of temporal displacement going on, but that probably ties into book four, and so we'll just leave that as a note. So that's like, and but that's a, it's a little different then from starting out with fire, fire versus you know fire with fire, right? You got this kind of time travel thing. Um, okay, so the 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 original uh, Terran Terran Republic anthology, people were just writing kind of. Uh, whatever story fit in the setting, or were you directing that at all? In terms of like what the stories were about, since Griffin had a piece in that, awesome. Why don't we ask Griffin what that experience was like? Well done. So the Lost Signals uh, it was yeah, it was an anthology where I'd pick your playground uh, and go ahead and and do something with it. And so we had everything from uh, Mike Massa and uh, uh, Casey Azell, uh, who also wrote. Uh, you know, Mike was in in this particular book, but uh, Casey was in uh, previous works in the uh, Murphy's Law stuff too. But they both wrote opposite sides of an alien contact uh, and conflict story. So they, from the alien perspectives, it was really kind of entertaining. There's a lot of really neat stuff in there um, that uh, was fun. I, I wrote something that's unrelated to the Murphy's Law list, but. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to return to those characters eventually as well. Uh, mine was a, an investigation uh, of a uh, of a heist that they didn't even know there was a heist uh, until they show up on the scene, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they you know uh, we were at uh, Balticon after having I think talked about Lost Signals or we'd already kind of done uh, Lost Signals and we were. Uh, uh, Casey, Mike, myself, we had had this kind of weird idea that at the same time, apparently, as Chuck had, where we would all write a, a story that uh, was set in 
his universe with you know with his permission but that we would kind of focus on our skill sets so casey would write something that had to do with a piloting you know piloting. i didn't know that at all until this minute i had no idea yeah, no we we talked about it, it was this many days old when i found yeah, out we talked about it at balticon so we had, we had yeah. actually uh, the the three of us had talked about it doing something like this because we knew enough people to be able to actually do it like to to pull it off so mike massa seal uh you know navy seal uh casey air force major at the time she was just a captain but she uh, promoted before retiring uh chris has got his air force background as an officer as well it was just you know we had and me is just law enforcement we could we figured we could probably bring something to the table and so we start to talk to chuck about it and chuck goes zooming off on uh, Murphy's Lawless, and we're like, well, that's exactly what we were talking about doing. So, okay, cool. We didn't have to sell it very hard because <laughs> it was already in. You know, he'd already had the the same idea more or less uh, intact. In so, uh, yeah, coming to it was uh, uh, was very easy. Uh, Chuck is, uh, as he already talked about, was you know he worked with Eric Flint, and uh, I co-authored with a number of novels with him, uh, working on the third one now. And Chuck had been, I call, I jokingly call him the rainmaker because he's given me a lot of opportunities in the uh, in the writing uh, field. And in fact, like one of the first, uh, the fir very first contact I had with Chuck before I even knew him was reading one of his stories in War World back in the uh, mid '90s or the early '90s. Uh, one of the Bane anthologies uh, from I think it's Niven and Pornell, wasn't it? Or uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the um... It's yes, definitely. the war world stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it was yeah, it, this uh, opportunity was, you know, no opportunity should go wasted. You shouldn't let everything go by. So uh, obviously we were eager to uh, participate. The universe that uh, Chuck has set up is pretty, pretty cool, pretty comprehensive. And there was a playground that he had set up for us to, to inhabit and to bring these characters into. And as I, you know, I think I probably uh, evidence with my quoting the, the film. Uh, I, I enjoy Kelly's Heroes too, and I also like a a, a, a bad protagonist, if it were, if you can say it that way. Flawed. They're just kind of, yeah, they're deeply flawed. <laughs> Not necessarily <laughs> bad, and and I think that you know none of the none of the lawless are bad. They're just oh. flawed. Chalmers is bad. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. When it opens up, Chalmers is not a good dude. He's, yeah, he's trying to do okay. better, but he's not a good dude. Sure. But the misfits, the slight disciplinary problems, the never lived up to their potential, the guy the with uh, barracks house skills. lawyers, all of them. Well, and the and yeah. the redliners. Mike's Mike's character is a redliner. He's somebody who's gone out, oh, he's been redlined for too long, uh, and he's kind of damaged behind it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, my my guy is damaged too. Um, he he blew up a wedding. Uh, F eighteen pilot dropped told to drop a bomb here. Did, oops, wrong spot. Yeah, the little girl looking up at him when he did. Yep. Yeah. Never, never so the little that. girl that's is perfect. the bomb went off. That's brutal. That's brutal. So so okay okay so Chris so let's make this explicit too. So Chris, you are the editor in chief a publisher and owner of Chris Kennedy Publishing for anyone who's watching it who's not fully twigged to, to that so um so uh Griffin and Massa and Casey go in to pitch this and they're ready to pitch Chuck and Chuck pitches them instead and okay so we got this idea 
So um, we talked about seasons. That's interesting. That's a sort of a recent phenomenon as a, uh, to think about publishing books sort of like a TV show, right? I mean, it's, it's really sort of a post-Netflix phenomenon, I think. Right. We, we were kind of about doing that. episodes before episodes were cool. Yeah. Um, you know, because we started this, uh, you know, a few years back and, and Chuck said, well, hey, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Do you think this will work? Um, okay, so we're, we'll do a bunch of novellas, and then at the end of the season, we'll bring them all together, um, and, and I'll add in a bunch of my own stuff that, that you know, really makes it fit into the, the Kane Riordan uh, universe, and then we'll have this, this one book, you know, and, and you can either get the novellas and follow along, or, you know, if, if novellas aren't your thing, if you're, if you're not the, the binge person, um, you can just go for the, the final product. Um, and I said, okay, sounds, sounds great. And, you know, now um, Amazon's doing the Kindle uh, Vela thing where, you know, they're, you're getting little pieces all the time. We were doing that before then, you know, we were, we were doing the, uh, the novella thing and the first season had six novellas. Um, and then uh, the, the final book, which was Murphy's Lawless. Um, which had, I think, uh, another 30,000 uh, words from, from Chuck, um, you know, which, which really positioned it into the universe. Um, the, the original part of it, the, the beginning of it, which was the beginning of Mike's story, was, you know, something that really set it into the universe. Um, and, and then he had the, the little interstitial parts where, you know, it connected the two books together. Um, which I think at the very beginning he thought would be easy. Didn't turn out to be quite as easy as he thought. Um, he's, he's spent uh, uh, quite a bit more work uh, getting people to, you know, kind of marry up some of the things. And, you know, as publisher, I tried to keep them all, you know, going in the same direction, but sometimes they didn't line up exactly right. Um, which which made it a little harder on him. And, you know, he already touched on, you know, oh, it's not going to affect any of my schedule. Well, okay, maybe just a little. Um, but but it was really good. So the, the first uh, six novellas came out um, and then Murphy's Lawless, um, you know, and, and we went, well, okay, that's great. Um, putting six novellas together is a little hard. Uh, it also makes a book that's about this big. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big book. I think it was a uh, better part of 150,000 words. Oh, it was more than that. It was, uh, it okay. was more than that. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot more. Than so that. It, it was, it was big. And well, we said, okay, it was six, instead it was of doing, and, yeah. Yeah. Was, instead of doing that, we'll, we'll break them the season into half. We'll do three novellas and then the, uh, the final book and then three novellas in the final book. So we had season one, which was Murphy's Lawless, which had the six. Then we had the first half of season two, which was Watch the Skies, uh, which had three, uh, three novellas. And then uh, there were three novellas that, that ended up in Mission Critical, uh, which, is, which is where we are here, uh, of which Mike Griffin and I were the, the three novellas. So we're all uh, passingly familiar uh, with uh, the production of, of this book. Okay, so, so this is, okay, so very good. So season one and two are available, right? They are. They're, they're available on Amazon. Yep. Um, if, if you want to see what the books are, 
you know, if you're interested in the novellas, uh, you can go to Chris Kennedy Publishing. Um, if you just go to Imprints Beyond Terra Press, uh, that is where they all are because I, I have an imprint that is for the series. Um, you know, Chuck and I talked when we started and I said, well, I'll start an imprint for this and it's Beyond Terra Press. So all of the things are on the Beyond Terra Press page, all of the, the novellas and the final books and, and you can see where it goes. Um, we're, we're planning on getting that up onto uh, Bain's website. Um, I'm going to write something for Tony here uh, tomorrow um, and, and we'll try and get that up, you know, for the folks that are, uh, you know, Bain only um, so that they can see it and follow along. And if they want to go grab those other ones, great. Um, but, you know, that way they can at least know where it came from. Okay. Fantastic. So, okay. So that brings us to the book. Now, I should say, uh, I have read the first couple of Canary Jordan novels. I hadn't gotten as far as the point where the Murphy's Lawless get abandoned um nor have i read season one and two so i came in on this novel right um so uh uh let's see who's i can't remember who, who well, the order who's the who's the author of the first so it's three it's three overlapping stories right they're, they're, they're all mixed Griffin. together yeah so yeah my my novella was first but the the way chuck assembled it into the greater novel with the full season was yeah. There's a lot of his material there uh, as well, so uh, yeah, I, I my novella was uh, called titled Infiltration, uh, and it's uh, it returns to Chalmers and Jackson. Chalmers being the warrant officer uh, from the U.S. Army that uh, uh, was put into cold sleep. Uh, it, we should be clear about the, the the time travel that's going on. It's basically that the experiential time time travel. They go to sleep or they're shot down over uh, uh, the ocean uh, outside off of Mogadishu and uh, are, you know, come back to consciousness in a spaceship uh, several hundred light years, a hundred light years and more away from home uh, and also more than a hundred years away from home. Yeah. So um, Chalmers is a warrant officer who is one step ahead or behind the law. Uh, the <laughs> FBI was looking for him and found him. Uh, because he was doing all sorts of dirt. Uh, his partner uh, was much more straight arrow, uh, Sergeant Jackson, and uh, tried to keep him kind of on the straight and narrow, but he got uh, coated in the same caca uh, that Chalmers always kind of spits up while he's doing things. Um, and Chalmers is unlike most of the other uh, folks uh, that, that are the lost soldiers that go through this, He's like, hey man, clean slate. This is awesome. I can be somebody. Shit on. People aren't warned. They can't see me coming. Well, but more than that, it's also he he actually has the the mental fortitude to go. I could be better. Redemption. And okay. you know, try and redeem himself, even if it's just to himself. Yeah. And that arc kind of carries from uh, the first Murphy's Lawless. Uh, which was titled Man my, my novella and man eater was or in uh, Murphy's lawless. The first season was called man eater. Uh, and then uh, infiltration. So that arc kind of carries through those two stories or those uh, two novellas. And in this particular one, he is uh, given a task that is kind of uniquely suited to his uh, skill set, but he's reluctant to take it because he doesn't want to be a dirtbag anymore. 
and he's being asked to be to lean into his dirtbaggishness. <laughs> and uh, so he also uh, known as dirtbaggery. Yes, that too. <laughs> uh, so he moves ahead and, and uh, does that and carries out the the mission uh, to the best of his ability. Uh, uh, along the way, a lot of uh, entertaining things happen, uh, and, and uh, we hope that uh, I set it up pretty well for everybody else to kind of knock it out of the park uh, as they went along. Um, I was also able to, because uh, Chuck's a mensch, uh, one of my friends passed away from cancer during these two, these three seasons that we were writing, and uh, I was able to uh, memorialize Moose, uh, Maximiliano Messina, who's a, um, a friend of mine, another uh, officer here in Northern California. Uh, and so I was able to kind of uh, give him a, a good uh, immortality uh, dose there. So, yeah, yeah I don't do red that. shirts, uh, if so, particularly with a memorial sort of thing. You, you know, if, if life is so cheap and nasty not to give us a longer a, a long enough tenure here well we can we actually are one of those strange fields where you can do something about that a little bit maybe only but something yeah. so <clears throat> sounds like chalmers is fun to write uh what else what else you like about chalmers and jackson what's fun about them what's interesting about well them? it's it's basically a buddy cop thing um and you know they're partners uh in uh, just like uh, we were talking about earlier, Chuck was alluding to is that, you know, it can be a, it's a relationship, not unlike a marriage. And uh, with, with all of those, all that baggage that goes on in there with the unspoken things, the spoken things and that kind of stuff. And so uh, it was also being able to uh, integrate how uh, Chalmers and Jackson are seen by other characters in other people's novellas as they went through, like, uh, well, it, so Jackson is a much, much more likable character. He's someone I'd hang out with in real life. Chalmers is, uh, yeah, my, I, I imagine the character that I wrote would not get along with Chalmers. He just doesn't smell right most of the time. Right. And so the, and that was one of like my Major Mara. Uh, she has a, a Confederate part of her crew is Elroy and Elroy and Jackson hit it off. Uh, and uh, Chalmers is deeply uh, upset about that. And is it basically the entire time when uh, Casey Azell was writing Chalmers, she had Chalmers being an absolute jackass on the radio to Elroy. Like every single communication was. <laughs> so I, I sat there. And that I was went, the only one that got along with him. So, so now you're pulling him away and he's like, but that's my buddy. I'm a well away from home and that's my only buddy. So, so Chalmers is really jealous of the fact that Jackson gets along with Elroy and he you know, works on that. So that's uh, that dynamic of being like uh, the, the guy who's trying to be better. I kind of try to be better most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and the guy who is better and, the, you know, he, he can see it. And he also realizes that, like, if Jackson were given the same opportunities that he was, Jackson would be so far, light years ahead of him, would have never been with him, would have never uh, presented the opportunity to be better. Uh, so how that works uh, in our lives, like in the people that we meet and the people that we encounter uh, and the people that we choose to associate with and help, uh, how that ends up changing our stars, how we're going to be uh, perceived by other people as well so it was a lot of fun for me uh, I, I like these two characters and that that story arc is is 
is closing in on its its final thing. I think it might be right there already. We'll see yeah. how it kind of works out. Yeah, fun. Um, hey, Mike, tell us about uh, tell us about your what your stories here in this novel, and uh, maybe you know uh, your your key characters. Well, I'm I'm privileged to have been invited to write three times in Jux universe, including a short for an anthology. Um, one of the things that made it possible for all us to work so well together, and apologies for being late, I laid down for a nap about four hours ago, and my eyes blinked open, and it was 4.30, and I ran here, so I'm concealing my bedhead under my cap, apologies for <laughs> well, We're glad you made it. I mean, these guys were really talking smack, but I, I stood up for you, and I'm glad you made it. It's a, it's a tough crew. I knew I could count on you, Dave. Yep. I got your back. That's probably that, that barber guy and that Gannon guy, especially. You got to watch out for him. But oh, <laughs> I, I can on you. Um, Mike, character who like the character in I think the majority of the the stories recurs in both the initial uh, or the, the the kickoff to uh, Lawless, which is um, Shakes uh, shows up again in Infiltration, and he's a uh, was a Navy SEAL who was being sent home under a cloud, uh, being investigated uh, in Mogadishu because he uh, zapped the uh, multinational officer for whom he was working because that guy was doing some very naughty stuff. Oops. And the moral compass of this frogman, which was already, already kind of getting twisted, uh, couldn't stomach it. So he was on the way home and he he wakes up in a um, what looks like a hospital bed, uh, a hospital room, but not quite right. And he's uh, meeting his new, <laughs> his new commanding officer, who's uh, Major Murphy. And like everybody else, he has to figure out exactly where, where am I again? No, this is, you're full of crap. This doesn't make sense. Which is in fact the very thing that happens to his boss when his boss wakes up. So it's a recurring thing. You have to get, overcome that displacement. Uh, and then he gets Mike good brings in a, Mike brings in a great detail though. I just wanted to say he has them betting on whether somebody will bark. <laughs> and, and, and the one thing that hasn't been touched on is this is the very first book of Murphy's Wallace. This was the first novella. This kicked it all off. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. So he he is uh, he's he he knows his background. He assumes other people don't. Uh, what he doesn't realize is that the Dornani, who are the, have already have we briefed the Dornani checks? Are they explained already? No, you can. You can we, we haven't. We haven't uh, gone in that direction yet. So the I won't call them benevolent, but at least they're not outright uh, directionally and militarily hostile as an occupying force. Uh, galactic civilization that seems to be the senior, certainly the most technologically sophisticated civilization. Um, the Dornani have been around Earth for a long time, and they've been gathering intel. So they actually have a much more complete folio on all of our different protagonists, including mine, than is in his officer service record jacket. So his new boss has the full picture, or as full as the Dornani care to make it. Um, and he has to be persuaded, because uh, he's asked to do something kind of crazy, uh, he has to be persuaded to go on the op, and uh, his his redemption arc, if you want to call it that, is less about 
because uh, he's not feeling apologetic about what he did that got him sent home. Rather, um, he questions the whole basis, if you will, the the, um, the legal operating authority for this all to occur in the first place, and it's a legitimate question. Uh, and then, in a in a immoral or spiritual sense, he's he has to explain to his boss over time. Um, Waving the flag or telling us it's this or you know out the space lock if that's what if that's the choice only gets you so far. This group of people from all these different countries because the, the lost soldiers are, are a lot more than just Americans and they're a lot more than just Navy. In fact, they're they're principally, if I recall correctly, um, Army guys. If I I don't the remember bulk, the exact the bulk balance, is but, Army Vietnam. Yeah, that's the bulk of them because they were being collected, if you will from situations where there were certain deaths. All these folks are MIA in the official books and they are MIA to earth as well. Um, Just to add a footnote, although I changed the names, every single MIA incident was drawn from history. So the, the, the notion is that these individuals really don't have a natural reason to come together and come together and end up doing all the, the rather dangerous things they're asked to do. And the reason they were all left in cryo suspension for so long and aren't part of the larger contingent that are more, I'll call it legitimately, doing things together because they were people who were engaged to be reliable is that these folks, for a variety of reasons, whatever the reason happened to be, um, something wrong with their head, they committed a crime, they were uh, irretrievably ill, uh, were left in cryo sleep. And that's how they came to be where they're at. They're, they are literally, they're the scrapings of the scrapings of the barrel. Yeah. So he didn't. So, he didn't choose to be where he is, but he makes the best of it. Yeah. So uh, this comment about Vietnam. Uh, not, Chris, I'm going to come to you here in a second. But I, by uh, there's an interesting kind of flavor point here that I think could make it a lot of fun for a television or a film producer, which is one of the discussions that we open up with in Mission Critical is talking about the the allies these guys have made and their replicator technology because what they've been doing is they've been there they've gotten allies to build for them the hardware they're familiar with right so they have Hueys uh and you know um so uh as we're talking about a science fiction novel and and uh spaceships and aliens this is this is Part of the visual picture here is that it's historical U.S. fighting forces armed with their historical weapons. Um, some of, some of them are some of them are are using a different era because it was better for them or they they liked it more. Right. Uh, but uh, I think it, the advancement kind of stops at the uh, was it the M uh, M four the bigger bigger uh, round I can't remember which one it was the. Uh, Long gun. Field M14, Chamberlain 308. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the guy who told me, because he's right, and because I got sloppy. It's not really 308. It's it's 762 by 51. <laughs> this yep. boomerang took a long time to come back, but it's arrived. <laughs> this is why I can't be invited to the anthologies, the Bane anthologies where you have to know stuff, because I don't know stuff. <laughs> but people didn't. Uh, not everybody has. We've had people who were one of the one of the one of the 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 ideas for this is if you go down the list, everybody 
had done what their characters were doing. And I wanted that because if you're going to do something set in using contemporary stuff, it could get to be, it could come to rely on what I'm going to call TV tropes. Sure. But I knew something about all these people and I knew something about the specificity with which they would approach their stories. And that specificity is in some way so rare that it actually is a really good mix for science fiction. It's like when you read the better passages of Clancy, when we're not getting essentially, you know, a, uh, an inside the beltway tech breakdown, but we're getting this sort of, you know, it's, it's really fascinating to know the details of how these various things are done and not just the, the technologies of them, but the methodology of them, which is actually one of the things that they bring as it, it, arguably more than the technology because they brought tech packets that were essentially brought along with them with the Dornani. They bring an approach to combat, which the, the very combative locals think they know all about, but what they don't understand is there's a difference between being a warrior and a soldier, and this is all about soldiers. That's very. And, and, and I'm I'm going to step in here and smile. Uh, I've been I've been sitting here chuckling the whole time because one of the reviews uh, on the uh, book, you know, mentioned that you know this this Mike guy didn't really know about being a SEAL, and and Kennedy didn't know anything about aviation, and you know it was like, really, hmm. Well, that's interesting because I, I, that's I would what they like did to, for 20 years. I, I would like to put in that Griffin doesn't know anything about being a, a, a criminal dirtbag warrant officer. Just, <laughs> just, you know, clear. He the just arrested lots of them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this reviewer was right <laughs> on one of the many, many wrong points that he had. Griffin Barber has never been a dirtbag. Yeah. As yeah. far as he can be pinned, he never <laughs> actually did that. But the rest of us did. Yeah, yeah. It, it was funny to hear somebody say that when, when you know, a lot of us had been picked exactly because we brought that kind of skill set and could write from, you know, a, a, a knowledge of what that's like. Um, you know. Yeah, I think that my 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 favorite review was a guy was that said one, this dude's never been a seal, and two, he's never been to Somali. He's way off. And I'm like, sure, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's excellent. And and then on the group page, uh, one of the things that I did was I called I, I called or texted or or messaged everybody, and I collected not only what they had done, but the 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 cog the, the 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 cumulative years spent doing these things, and it was well over a century. Yeah. And I you know, and I just said, so I don't know what your benchmark for you know adequate preparation is. I'd like to think we met it. Yeah. <laughs> my my whole thing about that that kind of stuff, when you, you know, with reviews and arguing with those people is just that you know, you wrestle with pigs, you get shit all over. Oh yeah, it. yeah. No, I didn't go on the review. I never answered the reviewers. Yeah, no, I I'm just. <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, that just got me. I'm the one who doesn't have any background, zero background. After yeah. the first, we had one other person in the first season who probably didn't have. I think he was well prepared for that, but it wasn't a military background. And then we got uh, somebody in the second season who didn't yeah. as well. Um, but but is uh, but is a historian and yeah could could do that pretty well. He really He's did. written a number of World War II books. No, 
So, so uh, okay, so Chris, but you're up, I think. Tell us, uh, tell us about your your key characters here. Uh, what's going on with them in the story? What you okay. like? Um, like I mentioned before, uh, Kevin Bowden is a uh, he's an F eighteen guy. Um, he was he was a superstar. He was going places. He'd been to test pilot school. He was going to be an astronaut. He was going to be, you know, he was going. He was going to be Admiral whatever. Um, and then he dropped a bomb where he was told to. Um, but it wasn't, you know, Somalia was kind of hard, hard to figure out. You know, you, you got people that are on your side as long as you're doing bad things to the other people, but they're not really on your side. Um, so some of the intel you get may be wrong, um, and they may tell you that the bad guy is here, which they did, uh, and he dropped a bomb onto where the bad guy was, except that that's where there was a wedding going on, and, and he blew up a bunch of kids, and uh, that's why he was on the, the chopper home, um, because he was going back to face the media storm. Uh, he had done bad things. He was going to be thrown to the wolves. His, his career was over. He had gone from, you know, an upward trajectory to he was done. Um, and he was ready to be done. He saw, he saw the little girl die. It was, you know, he was, he was broken. He was, he was as broken as you could be. Um, and when he wakes up, he's told, hey, you're, you're going to come do this thing. And he's like, no, I'm not. Well, yes, you are, because I'm a, I'm a major and you're a lieutenant and you're going to do it. I'm not in your military anymore. So it's, you know, there's, there's different redemption stories and, and his is more of a, he, he has to come to grips with what he's done and, and how do you go on from that? Um, and, you know, that's his, his first story is wave off in the, uh, the first season. Um, and, and he has to try and figure out how to adapt um, uh, atmospheric craft that have never been used um, for war into how do you how do you make these things work? How do you drop a bomb from this? How do you you know, we've we've got this target. And, and if we don't blow up this radar uh, or this 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 communication thing, you know, we're all going to die. Um, so you have to do this. Um, and, and he has to try and figure out how to adapt things and, and how to get over himself, um, which is the hardest part of it. Um, and, and, and I had, I had a ball writing that, um, as, as Chuck said, um, you know, everybody is there from history. Uh, so, so the other people that are with him were people that I modeled that, you know, I went, I went back into the uh, Vietnam, he was with a bunch of Vietnam aviators. And, and I found the people that he was with, uh, changed the names, you know, and, and all of those people actually existed and, and did those things. So that was uh, a real thud driver. That was a real thud driver. It, yeah. Those people existed, they disappeared, and they showed up in uh, Murphy's Lawless. Good. That's great. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, speaking okay. of the tactics and stuff. So, so, the... so, I guess, I guess, you know, moving to mission critical, um, you know, so, so he then 
you know, uh, is able to overcome without going, you know, too deep into it and too much spoiler. And, and now he has to become the person he should have been. He should have been an astronaut. He should have gone and done these things. Um, and he now has to do them uh, in order to make the next stage uh, of things happen. Um, and he's not ready. You know, that's, that's not him. Yeah, Mike. He's, he's waving to a significant other, I believe. Oh, okay. I thought he was waving. Okay. Um, you know, so the, the fact Hi, Lorna. I, I was very sternly and directly issuing orders for the menu for tonight with no negotiation is what I was doing. That's the, that's the way I roll. Yeah. So, so Kevin, Kevin now. Or to Della become, or death. Yeah. Kevin now has to become the person that he should have been if he hadn't disappeared from earth 200 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the cool things about this was watching these characters, uh, you know, because I'm reading these fresh, you know, and and the order was mixed from before. So the first novel, I I, I was uh, second, I think, uh, after uh, after Mike. No, you're third. You were third. You were third. After, I was third, uh, Kevin right. Yep. And that, yeah, that's right. So so having to kind of pick up and kind of carry through, and then I wasn't in the second season. So watching these character story arcs kind of continue through that. And now in this mission critical, get to, you know, pick up where we left off. But, uh, you know, the mission has changed uh, uh, pretty drastically, like as far as for Chalmers and Jackson. Um, but to also see like the uh, Mike's uh, character, you know, it goes from, uh, you know, basically uh, his, uh, aside from the insertion aspect of it, he's uh he basically was doing this typical seal mission which is you know train everybody up and you know make them hearts and minds a little bit and you know get get going on things uh or at least the advisor kind of aspect of it and then in this one uh he's having to develop tactics as an astronaut for close combat in zero g and it it was really cool to first off to listen i love listening to the mic just tear his hair out because he's got too much <laughs> and but he's sitting there you know tearing his hair out trying to figure out like what is a practical way to engage in in melee combat which is the idiot's combat because nobody walks away from a knife fight without cuts on them and if you're in space that's really really bad <laughs> um so he you know he, he literally spent as long figuring out those tactics as he did writing the story because he wanted to make sure it was realistic as, as realistic as possible and it really shows through and it's it's effing cool uh and, you know. and i think one of the neat things about mission critical um and the second season in general is getting to play with everybody else's people yeah. you know getting 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 to write some of these other people into your thing um and bring them in and and you know some of their their neat little ticks and, and getting to play with them that was a lot of fun yeah but some of the characters that actually get carried through are not the ones you perhaps expect. People were in a big rush to kill off this uh, this very very slimy character from the opposition, in in uh, who was introduced and in watched the skies. But I but he he was ultimately the the asset that had to be used, the basis of intelligence, the basis of com, you know operations, ground operations at the spaceport, communication protocols, et cetera, et cetera. What would what would what would tweak what wouldn't and you know how do we make sure he does the right thing and says the right thing 
And it's it's really interesting watching what people do because that character particularly is kind of a pinata. You know, it's like he's not anybody's Halo character. He has to stay around because, quite frankly, he was too essential. Otherwise, you know, one of the things that you did, one of the reasons I called this, first of all, I, I had a background in series, uh, in, in television. So series came naturally to me. Um, I don't, I haven't heard, even heard anybody use the term uh, seasons yet other than us. I don't know if anybody has. And if they have, we did it first. Uh, <laughs> but uh but the, the thing that, that you see is that people want to kill characters off. And I'm sitting there like a showrunner because that's really what this is more like is saying, if we kill this guy off, we're going to have to then introduce a new guy or gal who's going to do that same thing. If we're still working inside of 30,000 novellas, it, we, we need to keep this pigskin still on the field for a little while, at least a little while longer. And then they get more interesting. So you're not as likely to do them in because it's like, eh, I could see some more fun stuff happening with them. Just to I say one thing about Murphy, him. though. Just to say one thing about Murphy, which is that Murphy is everybody's, is, is everybody's guy to hate. And understandably, what almost none of them know, and, this, and it's, I'm, it's a spoiler here, he's on that chopper in Mogadishu for a very different reason. One that he's not aware of. 24 hours before and he has a clock ticking and so there's a thing in the back of his mind which is not only does he have to do this he, he understands no one is going to like me i'm going to be the guy that everyone's going to hate and that's going to have to be all right because it's not because one of the things is and, and mike talked about this earlier the idea that it's going to take more than flag waving and, 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 you know, organizations which may not even exist anymore to bind us together. What he's looking at, and they can't know, is that he's, he truly is looking to build either individually or collectively his replacement. Yeah, interesting. So, so that's one of his goals. Let's, let's um, maybe just want, so, some high level Okay, so what's the setup? So these guys get left behind. They're far away from Earth. They're in the future. What's the goal? What, what are the lawless trying to accomplish? Practically, survival. <laughs> it's, but, upper, it's upper out, you know, really, when they first get there, anyhow. It changes. But they're also kind of left behind as a fifth column against the, the big true. bad guys in the King Riordan universe. True. Right. If they can, if they can disrupt or or uh, build themselves up so they become a problem for the big bad guy uh, species in the the core books, then that's all to the good. That's why basically why they were left behind mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else was because is, they wanted to be the fifth column. The remake, and, and it's it's a stages thing. First, survival, establish yourself, don't die, and then become this next thing. But but first you you got to not die in order to do that. Well, there's so many opportunities a, to a, die. My dad was a naval aviator, and he also had a hierarchy of mission, which was step one: don't die. So I'm cracking, I'm cracking up because obviously you flew uh, you flew air to mud missions, um, Chris. Uh, aviate, we, navigate, communicate, checklist, and breathe. First, Chuck, aviate. We, don't die. Chuck, navigate. We, make sure you're going in the right direction. You know, can, so, yeah. can we speak? Can we speak? Can we speak, Chuck, to the actual 
mission profile of the mission critical art, or is that something you want to keep under the covers? No, I, I think I think we can. I'm gonna I'm gonna frame one one thing for folks who might be familiar with the Kane Riordan series but haven't come into this. They are in the back. These guys are getting dropped off in the back of nowhere, but this is the back of nowhere of the Katoran sphere. And that is astrographically significant. And and put it's so it's it's fifth dun, column, dun, dun. but it's also it's also what if I was able to materialize Guam when I needed it? So, so the there's a there's a bunch of things going on there. I will I will pull back. You go you go ahead with with that initiative. Well, so the, if, if book one was was being the fifth column and making a planetary toehold, uh, or the you know, the first part of the arc, second part of the arc, picking up in mission critical is uh, we need to now move beyond. Uh, you know, be ready to defend not just the surface but the system and move out of the system and to do that we need things and among the things we need is a spaceship and we don't have the right flavor spaceships so we better go take it so one of the one of the biggest challenges and and uh, griff spoke to it which was figuring out how do you fight in how do you take a, a ship in space and how do you fight in space because both those things require a a willingness on the part of the combatants to come together because space is so damn big. It's actually, you have to work at it pretty hard to get the ships close enough to where you can put people aboard one or the other and then fight it out. That's a hard thing to do. Um, but the, the, the meta concept of how it would happen came together and then inventing the ways that you would uh, defeat bad guys in suits in a vacuum uh, while remaining uh, hale and hearty yourself was actually a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Spent a lot of time bouncing those balls around, but that's the nature of hard SF. I mean, I would, I guess you could call this, it is, it is definitely adventure fiction. You know, mm -hmm. that's one of the things when I said to, to, to Chris, I said, I think that, you know, the Kane Riordan stuff has a certain vibe. I think it works for Kane Riordan, but I think that there's a huge unexplored country of what I'm going to call ripping yarns. And, and, you know, so that we set forward with that, but still, it needs to play by the kind of rules, the limits of the 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 limits of, of known physics and of of presumed or projected physics that that prevail in the main series or the the Kane series prevail in this one, and that creates uh, that creates some of these challenges. There have been a lot of challenges along the way, which I've really enjoyed. You know, and when when people were first. I, I don't know who they worked with first, but when when folks came to me and they said, "I don't know if you're gonna," you know, this is kind of you you aren't, you're not gonna. I said, "No, no, go with it." Of course, on the other hand, they they probably uh, they were also daunted by the, the 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 thin guidance pamphlet I passed out to them at the beginning of this, so they probably felt very unguided. There's a deep, well, deep ironic. It, <laughs> there's also. You know, the, the Kane Riordan universe is very, very much hard sci-fi. So you want to be true to that while while telling the 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 ripping yarn. Um, and and I, I I don't know how many of the early um, early NASA missions I read um, while while trying to prepare for writing Kevin Bowden to become a space pilot. Um, and, and how of the different physics things look one way, but actually are different. 
and and I read an awful lot so that I could make sure that it stayed true. You know, there wasn't, there isn't hand wavium going on here. All of these things are possible, and and this is how you would theoretically do it. Um, and and I really, I really had to push myself to to learn all of the things. You know, where you know, if you're just kind of writing space opera, you can you can just kind of be sloppy with some of that. Um, you know, there's there's no no room to be sloppy um, with Kane. Yeah. It was fun too because you could you could actually sit down and and you know for those characters that weren't high speed low drag uh, in their careers in the first place to, and weren't you know didn't have aspirations to become astronauts uh, you know when they're sitting in a shuttle under high G going let's talk about something because this is scary <laughs> they're, they're reaching for that 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 something that they can think about that isn't terrifying like there's nothing outside the hold that we're in this thin thin metal that's between us and space uh, mm -hmm. we are all going to die here uh and we're going to die on the planet you know there's all that kind of stuff so to be able to kind of access that uh as well because it is a hard science fiction universe because those who don't know which is the vast majority of people uh in the world they don't know anything about astrophysics you know how much energy it takes to change orbits all that kind of stuff so for me, in my case, it was fun to just kind of inhabit that that fear of like, well, it's just like flying an airline, only more terrifying. I just have to give it on, you know, take it on faith that these guys know what the f they're doing because I don't, and I'm not going to be the one that's going to save us if we if things go wrong. So, yeah, yep. it's one of the freeing kind of aspects of of you know if you put yourself in that place, which also places the reader in that place, right? That, that reader can sit there and go, yeah, this is yeah. awesome. Cause that's, that's the reaction I would have. Cause I'm terrified Absolutely. of heights or, you know, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. I want to actually call out something Mike did, uh, which I loved, which pro I don't know that anybody has yet said this yet, but um, in mission critical, there's all this wonderful stuff, absolutely done with the space combat, <laughs> but the stuff that I've never seen in any other book that Mike brought to it is the <clears> argument <throat> over who gets the suit salve next or before it runs out because they're living in these suits all the time and it's chafing like hell and and you've got that plus the way you know there's the sort of the black humor of of you know ex extended missions and things like that and living in a can with people and man you know what this is why when i when I invited Mike to to come because he was a because he was a seal, I mean, I invited him for reasons other than that. He, he turned in a killer story in 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 Lost Signals, but I was thinking, mm, this is going to go beyond the training tank for undersea operations <laughs> because no one. I mean, look where they train our astronauts, right? They they do it in Houston. You know, Houston has this huge underwater facility to facility to 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 give you the closest experience to most aspects of operating in zero G other than the vomit comet. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's an interesting twist and it's, you know, you have to have the technical accuracy. You have to have the action um, where you can, you want to bring some humor because life isn't always just nuts and bolts and mission, mission, mission. Um, but another component, uh, I drew was from uh, the Kipling poem called, uh, I think it was either the Centurion's Lament or the Centurion's Song, uh, where Kipling is writing a poem about 
uh, hey, this this um, legion, which has been in Britain for like 70 years, you know, the men have the men have uh, have their sons are now in the legion and they've retired and they're being ordered back to Rome because Rome was falling apart. So Rome was withdrawing all the soldiers and they have to get back on board the ship and they don't want to because now Britain is their home. It's the, their their families are there, their women are there, the, everything they know is Britain. Uh, in a similar way, um, the characters in Mission Critical have spent the last is it several months or a couple, maybe a year and a half? Oh, it's, it's a, well, you're on a year and a half at that point. Yeah. Yeah. For, so for they, your character, they, particularly. They've been on yeah. her back for they've been on her back for a long time, and my character in particular has gone native. So when we first see him in the story, he's wearing what amounts to a I won't say quite a native costume, but he's grown his hair out. He's got a leather headband on. He's not wearing insignia, and it's the it's the tr traditional. All the ne'er do wells are kind of smart asses are sitting around. Um, uh, uh, gambling over cards, including people from the planet who usually don't, don't get to come up, who are, you know, who he's tight with. And they're not just one of the interesting challenges what do you use for money, right? What, how do you pay for stuff? So there's a barter economy, um, black market set up with all kinds of goodies. And you're not supposed to do that, but that really doesn't bother my character because, you know, what the hell, in for a penny, in for a pound. But he really, really doesn't want to leave because. He now has family. When you do a foreign um, military support mission, you're trying to train the locals up. The modern U.S. military is very careful to rotate people out very frequently because they don't want you to build an unhelpfully deep emotional connection with the people that live there. They want you to represent the United States' interests, including when those interests may not always be consistent with the host nation you're visiting. So in this case, he's been, he's been dirt side for, gosh, a year and a half. And he doesn't want to leave. And he, if he was a, a surly pain in the ass before, he's doubly so. And his boss, um, the the good major, is I think he's, at that point he's a colonel. At that point he's a colonel, yeah. At that, and, and you know his personal issues. Everybody's got issues, but my guy is kind of selfish. He's focusing on him, him, him. Um, I, I can't imagine being my character's commanding officer. I don't want to just lock him in a room and leave him there. So the next best thing is to send him on a forlorn hope again. Yeah. And, and the uh, Kipling thing is Centurion Song. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's um, uh, let's just have one last kind of uh, a, a little a little one last point here. Um, some people may come to this because Mission Criticals and the Bain Monthly Bundle, and that may be their entry point right into. Murphy's Lawless, and or into the whole Terran Republic and the Cane verse. So uh, what haven't we said that people need to know to step into this uh, book three season? That you can. That you can. I mean, you can you can pick it up and read it as a complete novel. Yeah. it's it's It stands on its own. Uh, you, you may have a deeper understanding of what these characters are about. But uh, Chuck is, you know, he, he constructed a complete novel out of the disparate parts that we gave him and uh, made it a whole thing. So you know, you're not going to be disappointed if you pick it up and like, who are these people? That kind of thing. It's you, you will have a much richer tapestry if you if you know what happened before. But the story itself is straight up. You know, it's a it's a go to uh, go through it novel uh, and very quick read. Yeah. Great story. If you want to learn more, you certainly can. I mean, it's 
it's it's the best of both worlds you get you get a full story you want to go back and see more you can yeah fantastic you're muted mike there is a sample on the bane.com website right now okay that that usually is enough um i'm going to say that um if you haven't read uh, any of the uh, the Canary Orton books, um, you don't need them. Um, and as a matter of fact, there are a lot of people who got into Canary Orton now through this book because of when these books started coming out. And folks, there were there were some folks from certain series who were really hunting around for the next thing that was going to feel like hard SF. It it, it, it you know it wasn't going to break rules. They weren't going to throw the, the the book electronically or or you know dead paper version or dead tree version at the walls, um, and they learned that of whatever else was going on, they didn't have to do this here. I think the characters are all extremely. This is one of the other things I wanted to do. I wanted to bring the 20th and the 21st century into the 22nd century. There's so much rich idiom, and I'm not going to use it in the, the characters that are that have that are populating the king Riordan. I mean, for them, it would be like, you know, if you were walking around trying to talk like Mark Twain, you know, people would understand you, but they'd say, did you miss your meds today? So, so this was a real opportunity to bring this in. And by the way, when, when if there's some stuff that even the, the three folks here haven't heard yet, not because I'm holding anything close to my chest, but because there's just been so much damn stuff going on. But there are several things which have come to light on in this system which is the it's 55 tory b which is an actual that's another thing the stars are real too the distances between them are accurate um and uh there are things that have been uncovered here which haven't which have not tight have not percolated outside of this bubble of activity that will have major impact if anybody read uh if when you read the end of watch the skies you're going to encounter something about what are thought to be animals that are not animals. And the way they process memory and retain memory is going to be very, very important. You're also in a backwater of the Katoran sphere, for those of you who know the main series. These are the big bads. I'm not going to tell you much about them except to say that it's arguable whether they are an alien race or not. And if that sounds if that sounds enigmatic and, and perhaps tantalizing, please go go with that. Um, but this is the 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 full significance of these of the what are called the spin dogs, which are increasingly called the spin hounds or the the hound dogs as they're being pushed together, uh, are a are a spacefaring society. And what they have to do, they've always stayed hidden from their neighbors, who are very very ferocious. In the, in, in the other system, the A system. Um, this makes it a pearl of great price because there are two habitable, depending on how hard they are, worlds in that same patch of space. That's really valuable. But there's something else. In order to survive, the ones who are in this system, the spin dogs, have come up with, and other people have mentioned it, this replicator technology. And right now, they're restricted to replicating that which is the best stuff they've got their hands on is on the neighboring system. But the people who left this bunch here were heading deeper into that terrain. They have more advanced equipment. They're likely to run into more advanced equipment. 
when they come back, what will they have found? And that bomb was also a Tesla robot plant because that's essentially what strategically is almost materializing in the rear area of what I'm going to say is the most problematic polity. So these are all things which are, I, I think I've stayed vague enough, enough to bait the hook without telling you what fish is on there. But this is my way of saying for those folks who are Cane Riordan readers, I've told you from the beginning, this is not, quote, a side series. It started later, yes. It goes, but it, it parallels and rejoins. And by the way, one of the coming up in August, uh, Endangered Species, the next cane book, which I just saw the incredible cover on today, um, you are going to see the, you're going to see what's happening right before the lost soldiers are cut loose. Because so, people who so, so what it kind of sounds like there, Chuck, is that readers can expect more in the Murphy's Lawless universe. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because the, because really it's, it's stories, you can come into it from either one. You could say, ah, this cane stuff is a little too ambiguous or whatever it doesn't, whatever it doesn't do for you, fine. You like the Murphy's Lawless, you got that. If you, if, if ripping yarns is not for you, you know, I think you'll, you'll probably find something maybe more copacetic in the cane books. But the bottom line that we're seeing is that people who like one like the other. And, uh, and I owe that to these guys right here. I had a, I had a harebrained idea and they turned it into reality. Well, congratulations uh, to all of you. So uh, once again, the book is Mission Critical, uh, out uh, now from Bain and trade paperback in all, your, uh, all the ebook formats. Uh, congratulations, uh, all you guys. Thanks very much for uh, joining us here in the podcast. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Good air, Chief. And now we bring you Timothy Zahn's Cobra. Earth's only hope was the Cobras. The colony world's Adirondack and Silvern fell to the troughed forces almost without a struggle. Outnumbered and on the defensive, Earth made a desperate decision. It would attack the aliens not from space, but on the ground, with forces the troughs did not even suspect. Thus were created the Cobras, a guerrilla force whose weapons were surgically implanted, invisible to the unsuspecting eye, yet undeniably deadly. But power brings temptation, and not all the Cobras could be trusted to fight for Earth alone. Johnny Moreau would learn the uses and abuses of his special abilities and what it truly meant to be a Cobra. Eld Yarn had come and gone, and Chris had been working for an hour and a half when they heard the shot. What was that? Chris asked, looking up from a breadboard. Pellet gun, Johnny snapped, already moving toward the door. You'd better stay here while I... Forget it, she said, setting her solderer down carefully and racing after him. Ken's out there. There was no second shot, but even so they had no problem locating the scene of the trouble. Already thirty or more people had gathered around the edge of the square. More, like Johnny and Chris, were hurrying in that direction. Off to the side, at one corner of the building housing the mayor's office, lay a crumpled figure. Kneeling over him was MacDonald. Halt! 
An authoritative voice barked as Johnny and Chris pushed through the clump of spectators and headed for MacDonald. Stay away from him! Johnny glanced at the speaker without slowing. The hell with you, Lest, he said. The man's hurt. The laser blast Johnny had half expected to take in the back didn't come, and they reached MacDonald without further incident. What can we do? he asked as they dropped to their knees beside him. The other cobra Johnny saw now was pumping rhythmically on the injured man's sternum with the heel of his hand. Ventilate him, MacDonald snapped. But Chris had anticipated the order and was already beginning mouth to mouth. Johnny opened the charred shirt gingerly, wincing as he saw the location of the burn. What happened? Chalinor got here about fifteen minutes ago and told Mayor Tyler they were taking over, MacDonald said tightly. We weren't in any kind of defense posture yet, but Inslee tried to take a shot at him anyway. He swore viciously. Chalinor got out of the way and behind cover. There wasn't any reason to shoot to kill, but Lest apparently felt we needed an object lesson. Johnny looked over MacDonald's shoulder. Lest was still standing near the center of the square watching them. Glancing around, he noticed for the first time that four more cobras were also present, spaced more or less evenly around that end of the square. The two men who besides Lest had been at Chalinor's the night before, Chalinor himself, and... Sandy Tabers joined them, he said. MacDonald grunted. Chris, he asked. She moved her face away from Inslee's and shook her head. There's no pulse in the carotid artery, she said gently. Hasn't been since we got here. I'm sorry, Ken. For a long moment, MacDonald looked at her, his hands still in position on the dead man's chest. Then, slowly, he stood up and turned back toward the square, his face like a thundercloud sculpted from stone. Keep her clear, Johnny, he murmured, and started walking toward Lest. The action was so casual that he was four steps away before Johnny understood exactly what the cobra was planning. Simultaneously, a hissing intake of air behind him told him Chris also had suddenly realized what was going to happen. Ken, she blurted, leaping to her feet. Johnny was faster, standing up and grabbing her in an unbreakable grip before she could get past him. Stay here, he whispered urgently into her ear. You can't do anything for him out there. Johnny, you have to stop him, she moaned as she struggled against him. They'll kill him. For Johnny, it was the hardest decision he'd ever made in his life. Every instinct screamed at him to step into the square and begin shooting, to try and knock out one or more of the cobras waiting silently in their circle. To him it was obvious that Inslee's death had been a deliberate effort on Lest's part to provoke precisely this reaction, to goad MacDonald into a confrontation where all the numerical and tactical advantages were theirs. But equally obvious was the fact that there was nothing he could do to change the coming battle's outcome. At five to two odds, he and MacDonald together would die just as surely as MacDonald alone. And with both of their Cobra defenders gone, the people of Ariel would have no way at all to fight back against Chalinor's fledgling warlords. Even more than it had been the previous night, it was clear where his duty lay. And so he clung tightly to Chris, and watched as they killed his friend. It was a short battle. Even burning with rage, MacDonald had enough sense not to simply come to a halt and try to gun Lest down. Halfway through one of his strides, he abruptly let his right leg collapse beneath him, dropping straight down onto the ground. Simultaneously, his arms snapped up, fingertip lasers sending fire to both sides. Petrusky and Sintra, at the receiving ends of the two blasts, reacted instantly, twisting aside as their own nanocomputers responded with return fire. 
An instant later there were twin howls of pain as the renegade cobra's shots crossed the square and hit each other, and from his prone position on the ground MacDonald brought his left leg to bear on Lest. He never got a chance to fire. With his own lightning reflexes and servo-augmented muscles, Lest leaped up in a six-meter-high arc that took him almost directly over his opponent. MacDonald moved with desperate speed to get his hands up, but Lest's leg got to firing position first. The square lit up for an instant, and it was all over. Beside him, Johnny felt the tension drain out of Chris's body. For a moment, he thought she would either faint or become hysterical. But when she spoke, her voice was quiet and firm. Let me go to him, Johnny, please. He hesitated, knowing what it would look like. It'll be pretty bad. Please. They went together, Johnny with his arm still around her. It was indeed pretty bad. Lest's anti-armor blast had caught MacDonald high in the chest, destroying his heart and probably a good percentage of his lung tissue. His arms lay limply on the ground, indicating that the connections between nanocomputer and arm servos had also been destroyed, denying the Cobra even the satisfaction of one last dying shot. Such a terrible waste. Johnny turned slowly, disengaging his arm from Chris's shoulders and taking a half-step away from her. Yes, it is, isn't it, Chalinor? he said to the man standing before him, a white-hot anger beginning to burn through his mind. A shame he didn't try for you and your chief butcher instead of your two dupes. He attacked first. You saw that. You all saw that, Chalinor added, raising his voice for the benefit of the stunned crowd. C-3 Lest was protecting you, as is his duty. All the possible responses collided deep in Johnny's throat. What came out was an animalistic growl. Chalinor regarded him thoughtfully. I'm sorry about your friend. Truly I am, he said quietly. But we can't allow opposition to our plan. We're going to remake Aventine, Moreau. And the faster and stronger our first stroke, the more likely the Governor-General will capitulate without unnecessary bloodshed. Tabor came up to Chalinor's side. Sintra is dead, he reported, avoiding Johnny's eyes. Petrusky's going to be out of action for a few days, but none of his burns are really dangerous. Chalinor nodded. I underestimated him rather badly, he mused. I thought he was too angry to be thinking tactically. A dangerous man. I wish he'd been on our side. I'm going to kill you, Chalinor, Johnny ground out. You set Ken up to be killed, and you're going to die for that. Chalinor didn't move, but his gaze tightened slightly. You're welcome to try, he said softly, but you can't stop us. Lest will carry on in my place if I die. Would you rather he be in charge? And don't expect you'll get all of us. MacDonald was lucky to do as much damage as he did. Johnny didn't reply. Like a surfer on a wave, his tactical sense was riding the crest of his rage, calculating odds and possibilities with abnormal speed and clarity. Chalinor stood before him, Tabor slightly to his left, Lest somewhere behind him. An imperceptible bending of the knees could let him jump high enough to deliver lethal head kicks to the two in front of him, especially if the attack were preceded by a numbing blast from his sonic. Lest was far out of the sonic's outdoor range, but if he was watching the crowd for signs of hostility, Johnny might be able to get in the first shot there, too. No! Chris's unexpected grip on his arm froze his thoughts in mid-stride. Don't do it, Johnny. I've lost Ken already. I don't want to lose you, too. 
Johnny closed his eyes and took a deep, ragged breath. My duty to Ariel does not include throwing my life away in anger, he thought at the white heat within him. And slowly the bonfire cooled to more controllable embers. He opened his eyes. Chalinor and Tabor were watching him tensely. Dr. Eldjarn had to go to Sangral this morning, he told Chalinor evenly. You'll need to release our phone system so that we can call him back. The two renegade cobras relaxed fractionally. No need, Chalinor said. He'll be back at home in a few minutes, if he's not already there. Our roadblock stopped him on the way out of Thanksgiving, of course. You really shouldn't have tried to get a message out like that. You left us no choice but to move in. There was nothing to say to that. Taking Chris's arm, Johnny led her away. That was another installment in Timothy Zahn's Cobra, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkiewicz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to Charles E. Gannon, Griffin Barber, Chris Kennedy, and Mike Massa. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David Afshirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars. Thank you.